Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to would you like to do the honors of introducing the uh podcast? Today? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So welcome. Welcome one yeah. and all once again to the uh the Left Unread podcast. The podcast yep. where the stories are dumb and the hosts are dumb. Yes, also even dumber, unbelievably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> So that's us. <clears throat> yeah. Um what is it that we said we wanted to talk about first today? Yeah, so do a little banter on um, this fucking Martin Shkreli. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, my God. <laughs> the fucking dumbass journalist who, like, yeah, yeah, fell no, in love I, with Martin Shkreli. I can't get over it. It's, uh... Yeah. I, and you know what sucks? What sucks the most for me about it, you know, on a personal level? Yeah. Um, what I've been struggling with is realizing... That like ninety nine percent of the reason that I think that story is hilarious and terrible is like yeah. how fucked up looking he is, <laughs> and it's like aside from like what an awful person he is and like the the moral implications and the uh, all the issues there are with like a journalist being compromised in that way, all of that's great and funny and yeah. makes it like a really fucked up story. But like still, for me, the most important detail is just like what a frog face he. Is. <laughs> Dude, he is like a milk bread looking. <laughs> Dude, he looks like a baguette just dipped in whole milk and dressed up in vineyard vines. Like it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's just like what the fuck oh, are you man. thinking? Like, and, uh, yeah, I really... so, I mean, there's some great quotes. I mean, I think my favorite thing about it, um, other than like basically everything, is the fact that like he dumped her from jail through his lawyers this year. <laughs> Dude, I guess, you know what, this is like how, how bad of a job I did vetting yeah. this uh, Shkreli story, the Shkreli yeah. saga, is that I yeah. didn't even realize they weren't still together. I guess it makes sense, like, why would she bother exposing the story and turning it into this, this oh, shit no, show? Oh, no, no, the story, the story is why he dumped her. Oh, he just yeah. dumped her. Yeah, he dumped her from jail. He just, like, ghosted her. <laughs> like, he just stopped answering her calls, answering her emails. Obviously, she can't, like, visit him. That's a brutal and move. she kept trying to get through to him. And then she finally, because it was after he had learned that she she was doing the story. And then he has the fucking person writing the story reach out to him. And through his lawyers, it just says, Mr. Shkreli wishes Miss Smythe, or whatever her last name is, Spitz, whatever, um, <laughs> the best of luck in her future endeavors. Oh my god! It's like oh, best and so like while the story's endeavors. being written, she finds out she's dumped. That rocks. Yeah, that is just that is just too cool for school. And the best thing yeah. about it too is it's 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 not even a true ghosting because like she knows where he is. Yeah. <clears throat> Every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's right yeah, there. Too. For the next few years, yeah. She knows it's, that it's not, like, it's not that his, his phone got lost or that he, yeah. uh, uh, you know, had to change all of his contacts or, um, nope. you know, he can't blame his internet being down. He's sitting right there dumping yep. her. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Plenty of free time. I love it. Yeah. Um, awful people deserve awful things. I think that we both yeah. agree on that. <clears throat> yeah, I just, uh, I want to, like, go through, like, like my favorite line. Um, I'll just, I'll do the whole paragraph. It's great. I, the way it ends is just like, fuck yes. Um, soon after quitting Bloomberg, 
Smythe visited Screlly again, fuming about the book industry's rejection of him and her. Quote, I was so angry at the established people who wouldn't let me tell my story in the book. Publishers, Bloomberg, everybody, she says. Without her job or her marriage, that totally eroded any defenses I had left. Before, she had tamped down the sparks between her and Shkreli, but now she gave them air. She, just fucking name is Shkreli. <laughs> she thought about when he teased her about being a nerd in an old photo he glimpsed, and how she felt when he added her to his visitors list. In parentheses, he's not a big fan of visitors, but wanted her to come. A realization hit her. In the visitor's room, I told Martin I loved him, Smith says, and he told me he loved me too. She asked if she could kiss him, and he said yes. The room smelled of chicken wings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. It was real romantic while we kissed. It smelled like fucking Buffy tenders, dude. Yeah, man. Oh, that just rocks. I got nothing to add to it. It's great on its own. Yeah, dude. Oh. What a time to be alive. Yeah, and then he asked her to freeze her eggs so they could have kids when he got out. Why, she, is she like in her late 30s or something? She must, yeah, I guess she expressed um, concern that she would be too old to have kids when he got out. He's like, oh, just freeze your eggs. Just freeze like, your oh, eggs. Oh, yeah, great. So she did. Now she's like eggless and shkreliless. I, I have this, this image in my head of like... She freezes her eggs and like Martin Shkreli gets out and like because he's such a reptile fish man, like he just like yeah. dumps them in a pit and then just like sprays his fish sperm over them and then like in fucking six weeks like two thousand little Martin Shkrelis are born. You yeah, know, like just on the Nature Show and speculating show. on like <laughs> pharmaceutical yeah <laughs> stocks. Oh, what a what a guy. Well, that's a great segue. I think I think that leads us really nicely. Um, yeah. And actually, I can see there is a connection here because we're going to deal with a little uh, corporate abuse of, of the public trust. But uh, yeah. today, sort of a, a, I think of it as sort of a sister episode to episode one when we talked about the infamous Demon Corps. Yeah. Um, we will again be dealing with uh, the potential disastrous results that can, that can occur when man uh, <laughs> underestimates the destructive potential of, of nature. Um, that's right, folks. We're talking about the great Boston molasses extravaganza of 1919. Um, so, uh, I don't know if you can tell, because neither of us have a crazy accent, but Evan and I are both local sons here in Massachusetts, and, uh... Yeah, we're from fucking Boston guy. Yeah, see? We don't even fake it that good. Um, <laughs> but we're from here, and so, at least around here, this is a, a pretty well-known, at least anecdotally, a pretty well-known story. Um, but I wonder how many details people know. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's, 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 it's gonna get a little sticky, and it's gonna get a little sweet. Um, but I guess before we dive in, I should ask, uh, since I just made the point about us being local boys, uh, Evan, how much do you know about the Boston Molasses Flood of 1919? Um, well, uh, <laughs> uh, not much. I do know that it took out a few neighborhoods. Okay. And, um, you know, in lieu of other cities that burned down and were able to rebuild on grids, we just kind of had some sticky molasses flow down a few streets, yeah, and so we're still... we were forced to stick with this shitty, <laughs> <laughs> this shitty Boston. Yeah, we're still just uh, 
an absolute jumbled mess. And in fact, the very neighborhood that we're about to discuss is relatively unchanged. Um, okay, so I figure first off, I'm going to explain exactly what molasses is. And again, I'm thinking of this like a, like a sister episode. We went into a little bit about nuclear energy. Let's dive into molasses a little bit. Um, I think most people have a basic familiarity with it, mostly in baking. Uh, but back in the 19th and early 20th century, it was a much more common household ingredient before we had widely available super processed sugar. Like when we think of sugar, we're thinking of little white crystals. Um, back then, more people had access to molasses. Um, used as a sweetener in much the same way that uh, people use sugar like we have now. Um, but we'll dive into it a little bit. So it's a byproduct of the sugar refining process. Uh, sugar can be refined from various sources. The most common, especially in 19, is cane sugar. Uh, sugar cane is basically tough, tall grass, 12 to 16% sugar, right? Sweet stuff. It's good. But yeah. to get to that, what they do is they take this grass, they crush it, juice comes out, you boil that juice, that's molasses. So Grass juice, okay, boiled grass juice. Boiled grass juice is molasses. Um, right. So there's three, there's three grades of molasses. When you first boil that juice, you're gonna get grade A, which is really sweet, pretty light, like maple syrupy in consistency. Uh, yep. Grade B, it's a little more like a toasty flavor, a little thicker. And then you've got grade C, which is blackstrap. And that's usually once more sugar has been refined out of it. You've boiled it a third time to try to get what you can out of it. You see that a lot in like Southern cooking. If you're at the store and you buy a bottle of molasses now, it's probably blackstrap molasses because there's not a huge market for the other kinds of molasses. You can get it, but Blackstrap is most likely what you're going to find. That's also um, likely the grade that was used in this disaster. The reason that that's important is because blackstrap is the most viscous of the three. It's been boiled down, most the most water, and the most um, sort of tasty sugar has come out of it. Um, it has a lot of um, chemical uses, which is relevant here, um, but it's, it's not as big of a culinary thing. Um, one fun fact about it is that we think of sugar now as like a sort of net negative, um, but molasses is actually hyper nutritious because sugarcane's got a ton of good stuff in it. Oh, you mean like negative nutritiously? What was it? Nutrition. You mean like a net negative in terms of nutrition? Yeah, sugar, we think of sugar oh. as like as like being a net negative, like it's just yeah. bad for you, right? Sugar's terrible, yeah. and that's like the big thing right now. But molasses is actually full of B vitamins, calcium, magnesium, potassium, iron. So people were eating it. And it was one of like those main things that was keeping them alive. Wait, they were just eating like a ball of molasses. No, but so actually, yeah, for a long time, molasses was sort of like the original. Uh, you know how people now are like a spoonful of apple cider vinegar, like, or like yeah, I aged my own urine, that. like, yeah. Instead of aged urine back then, people would just take a spoonful of molasses, and uh, you know, it's got like vitamins and shit in it. Um, most important for our story, molasses. Yeah. Still sometimes is, but back then was one of the most important ingredients in the distillation of alcohol. Um, yeah. So when you're making alcohol, you need sugar. And molasses is the easiest way to transport sort of raw sugar in its, you know, least uh, expensively refined form. Yeah. Um, so we'll set the scene. Okay. Jan January 15th, 1919. We're in the north yeah. end of Boston, right? Which Art is of winter. It's 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 the heart of winter, and January oh. in Boston is dog shit. It's <laughs> it's cold. I mean, so, um, so is July or June in Boston. Yeah, it's a bad place to live. Um, so now we think of the North End sort of as like Boston's Little Italy, um, and that's because at the time in 1919, uh, it was a predominantly immigrant and low working class neighborhood. Um, so a lot of Italian immigrants, a lot of Irish immigrants, and that was true in 1919. Um, it's also right on the waterfront. 
So less now. Now it's more like, I don't know, leisure and stuff. But it was a big shipping port. And so for that reason, it was the location of the main plant of the Purity Distilling Company, which was a huge local alcohol distillery. It was like a chemical plant, but at the time they basically mainly made ethanol alcohol, which is the alcohol that you consume. So there was grain alcohol and things like that made there, but it was largely for industrial use as well. So they were supplying a lot of ethanol for munitions for World War I, and they'd been sort of cranking it out. And then prior to the story in 1917, it was bought by U.S. Industrial Alcohol Corporation, which is the biggest ethanol-producing, you know, early 20th century awful evil megacorporation in the country, right? So we think of these, like, big evil, like Monsanto or whatever. They were sort of like the then equivalent of that. Yeah, I mean, this is we're talking about, like, this is the time when, like, Upton Sinclair wrote, like, The Jungle. Yeah, man. Yeah, so, like, it's dirty. Everything's dirty. And it's important to know. No working conditions. No, exactly. And so, like, Boston is is still, like, a filthy city. There's horses and animals, and they're just shitting in the streets, and, you know, the automobile. There's trains, so there's smog. To be fair, fair, there's still horses shitting in the streets of Boston. (laughs) I don't know, man. I I don't know when the last time I saw horse shit in Boston was, but um, maybe I'm just lucky, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so, um, Purity Distilling Company, we're on the waterfront, we're in the North End, just got bought by a big conglomerate. They're cranking out ethanol like nobody's business. Um, so they had tons of storage tanks for different ingredients, different compounds. Um, but one of, if not their largest storage tank was used for molasses storage. Um, so I'm going to actually, I'm going to give you a picture here. Yeah, how big is the chat. tank? Well, I'll tell you. I'm also going to send you a little yep. photo here. Um, did you get it? So that big thing in the background on the right behind that building, that's the <laughs> tank. So we're talking about a tank. It's 50 feet tall. Okay. It's 90 feet in diameter and approximately 280 feet around. It's a big tank. Um, that's, not even, that, that's not a fucking tank, dog. That is like... That is a building of molasses. Yeah, it's a big old skyscraper jam-packed with molasses. Um, so it's 50 feet tall. It has a uh, <laughs> a 2,300,000 gallon capacity, right? And it's full of molasses. Yeah, it is. And it's right in the middle of, of not a residential area. It's predominantly like an industrial laboring area. There's lots of like stevedores pulling things off boats and... Um, longshoremen and, and uh, blacksmiths and things like that. So it's not like in the middle of a neighborhood, but it's 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 in a very high traffic area right on the waterfront. Um, so what's important? We know, we mentioned that Boston is is dog shit in the winter. Yep. The days leading up to January fifteenth, when this takes place, were no different. It was you know uh, below freezing, cold, 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 bitter cold every day. But on the fifteenth, temperatures rose to over forty degrees Fahrenheit which is very unseasonably warm uh, in the city of Boston for, for the middle of January. Uh, and after months of frigid well, temperatures... years ago. Yeah, oh, totally. I mean, yeah, this year I guess we've had... Eh, the world is dying. But back then... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> humanity still had a future, and uh, people weren't, weren't as worried, I don't think. Um, <laughs> it was unseasonably warm, though. So it's, it's above freezing, and it was sunny, so there's heat pounding down on this metal tank. 
um, coinciding with this warm weather, the day prior, uh, a ship bearing a big old fresh load of molasses had just pulled into dock, and they filled that tank up. So molasses, as I'm sure you can figure out, gets very viscous in cold weather, can solidify. It's basically like a, like a solid mass. Um, it doesn't freeze, but it's, it's hard. Um, so in order to transfer it into the holding tank, they had to heat it up. They had to make it really warm so they could pour it into this big holding tank. So they do that, but inside the bottom of the tank is frozen solid molasses, right? So they're pouring hot molasses onto frozen solid molasses, which if you've ever poured hot water onto frozen water, you've got kind of an idea, like things start to happen. It, it shakes things up a little bit. Yep. So that cold molasses starts to expand. All right. Uh, <laughs> so here's a, a, a good spot for an important aside. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we're familiar with 20th century American history. You and I are. I'm assuming some of our listeners may be. Uh, you might be thinking to yourself, wait a second, 1919, ethanol distillation. When exactly does prohibition start? True. And if you're thinking that, Evan, that's a yeah. fabulous question because it's incredibly relevant to our story. Yeah, that's the question I just typed into the chat for our readers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so it just so happens that the 18th Amendment to the Constitution, which was to prohibit the sale and distribution of alcohol for general yeah. consumption, and also heavily limited uh, companies that were producing alcohol for chemical purposes, right, such as, such as our example here, um, it, it, it heavily regulated that and increased tariffs and taxes and whatever, because obviously they could just, you know, illegally be selling the stuff off as, as, you know, rock gut, like shitty vodka or whatever. Which, which they probably were. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it just so happens that that, uh, passed the very next day on the 16th and it had okay. been in the works for two years. It was, it was very well known. So all these companies are kind of scrambling. Um, yeah, yeah. they had just been cranking out ethanol for world war one. So they were already sort of overdoing it with production. Now the war is over and they're cranking out ethanol just to try to stockpile as much as they can before prohibition like, passes. Imagine being like a ship fucking Europe. Yeah. Go get your fucking, like use your leg and like half your face fighting the fucking Kaiser mm -hmm. and you come home, you're going to have like a limp the rest of your fucking life. And and your country's just like, oh, by the way, no more booze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 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 kind of unbelievable. The fact that yeah. it was even fielded as as an option, I that, think it's pretty they were unbelievable. Just working on that while you were over there. And uh and here's the thing. It had a lot of support. It was widely discussed. So it's not like this was a secret, as I had said. Like these companies know this is coming. Yeah. And they're thinking to themselves, like, all right. We've got a year. Like, we know this is going to pass. There's a lot of weirdos in Congress then and now. We know this is going to pass. The religious the religious people are pushing for it hard. Social conservatives yep. are pushing for it hard. we got to stockpile some ethanol. So they're cranking. And they're not necessarily paying uh, very close attention to potential mishaps around the workplace, if you will. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so they know that it's going to go into effect. It's It's likely to pass the next day. They know it's going to go into effect a year and a day later. So it's going into effect January 17th, 1920. Prohibition is going to start. 
Um, another little tie-in that I noted here, uh, as evidenced by the Cyberpunk 2077 disaster, boom, current event, we all know that rushed, heavily scrutinized production of anything can lead to a shabby or potentially disastrous result. And, well, it is called the Great Molasses Flood, so let's get to the fun part. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so it's not entirely known exactly what happened. But at approximately 12.30 p.m. on January the 15th, that big tank that I sent you a picture of, it shit the bed. Completely nice. shit the bed. Well, so yeah, people in the area, like uh, military veterans, after the so, fact... So this molasses is warmed up right now, right? Yeah, so it's it's it had been warmed up prior to be, being dumped in. There was cold molasses in there, which just got hit with hot molasses. So it's like yeah, so cracking and expanding and going nuts. Yeah. Uh, this tank is huge. And we'll get into the dimensions of the tank later. But I mean, suffice it to say, this tank is a piece of shit. It's not a good tank. It wasn't built like... I'm going to say it wasn't built up to code. The important thing to remember, there wasn't a code. There was no code. <laughs> there was no code. They were just yeah. like, we need a big tank for molasses. Some guy was like, I can do that. And yeah. here we are. We've got this giant 50-foot tall, 2.5 million built it gallons. on your neighbor's house. Yeah. And they're like, okay, yeah, here you go. Exactly. Um, so it's a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, <laughs> so people reported hearing a sound that sounded like machine gun fire. Um, after oh, the yeah. fact, which we can only assume was the rivets holding this tank together, just blasting out, like, all at the same time. And I have this image of, like, maybe you see, like, a fat guy in a cartoon and, like, his buttons burst. It's like, boom, 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 boom. It was, it was basically that. Um, yeah. And there was, like, the sound of a dull roar. Uh, okay. And the entire tank collapsed onto the street. The side just fell and unleashed 2.5 million gallons of warm, yep. sticky molasses onto the street in a nutritious, delicious tsunami of death and destruction. Yeah. Uh, for a comparison, a size comparison, that's three and a half Olympic swimming pools full of molasses. Excellent. And so I've got a couple of fun pictures here that I'm, I'm actually going to show you. Um, one is, and this is what I'm sending to you now, this is pieces of the tank uh, after, after it had collapsed. And it's just completely shredded. So it's like steel, and there was yeah. a, a an L train, like an elevated train, right next door that was like completely taken out. This is my favorite photo that I found in the entire search here, okay. because this is a, a an artist's <laughs> rendering. Oh yes! And uh, you oh, can yes. see. Oh, God, look at that guy. Yeah, yeah. You want to tell <laughs> us what horse, you see there? Dude. The horse. Yeah, so there's horses, very distressed horses. A cop who's looks like he's talking into some sort of a, an old telephone. Well, he has like massive drops of molasses flying at him. Oh my god, he's about to die is what's going to happen. Yeah, he's, he's getting hit in the dick with a big molten ball of molasses. You can see, right? Yeah, it, it, looks, it looks like a... Yeah, that cock's not long for this world, god no, damn. No, no, no. Yeah, hot molasses on a ding-dong, that'll... <laughs> Yeah. It's not as sweet as it sounds. Um, <laughs> so so it's, it was a lot of molasses. Um, yeah. So I looked into it a little bit. Uh, modern fluid dynamics tests performed by a woman named Nicole Sharp who runs this website, FYFD, which is actually really cool. It's a whole website uh, devoted entirely to fluid dynamics. Um, and I didn't have a chance to go through it, but she does all these experiments and has all these cool examples and she did a whole thing on the molasses flood right because she wanted to sort of examine like molasses is super viscous how did this even happen wouldn't it just sort of glom out and like not be a big deal uh, yeah. and what she discovered 
is that molasses, like a lot of other substances, like ketchup is one, molasses is a non-Newtonian fluid. Now, do you know what yep. a non-Newtonian fluid is from work? Yeah. Right. So a non-Newtonian fluid. Work with them, though. So it's, it's, it's any liquid or fluid uh, where the viscosity isn't constant. So the viscosity yeah. of a non-Newtonian fluid depends entirely on external stressors. So a yeah. good example of an external stressor would be uh, if you have a ketchup bottle and you shake it, the ketchup gets more liquidy. Another yeah. good example of an external stressor would be if you have 2.5 million gallons of molasses and you drop yeah. it 50 feet onto concrete. So, okay. So, <laughs> so that's how it flowed. So like it essentially way. turned into a, a 35 foot tall tsunami. Yeah. Moving approximately, I'm sorry, 25 feet tall, uh, moving 35 miles an hour uh, mm -hmm. on average, just rushing out into the city. And it's basically, it just, it fucking demolishes everything in its path. Yep. So another, another little note here. Molasses has a, a relative density of approximately 1.4 tons per cubic meter. So every gallon of molasses is approximately 12 pounds. So we're talking yeah. about an extremely heavy giant wave and it's picking everything up around it. So it's picking up pieces of the tank, like it's slamming steel shards into people, into buildings. People see yeah, it's like, like shrapnels going off. Yeah, so you just have like rebar flowing. Yeah, oh dude, there's like pieces of train track. It knocks a, an elevated train off its tracks onto the ground. It's picking up horses and like, imagine like you're just like going to work. And then the next thing you know, you look up and there's just like 15 shrieking horses getting surfed <laughs> at you on a fucking wave of brown sugar. And you don't even have time to think about it before everything you've ever known is immediately gone. And you're just like embalmed in candy. It's yeah, it's you wild. just have like a like a huge piece of rebar through your calf yeah. or something. No, exactly. So I'm going to show you here. Uh, we're we're talking about like a pretty devastating area of effect and a, and a pretty wide yeah. amount of destruction. Uh, yeah, everything yeah. around it was just like leveled. You can see there are just yeah. roofs of houses sitting on the ground there, because the yeah. entire bottom floor was swept away and just like shattered. And there's planks of wood and whatever. And this is, that's days after the event. Yeah. So most of the molasses itself has been cleaned up, but the whole area, and you can see there's carts at the bottom. They're literally just scooping up and taking molasses out of there. Um, God damn. Yeah, man. It's, Which it's at a, that point is all nice and solidified. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's the problem. So it's, it's, it's 40 degrees out, but it's still cold and it gets cold again. So everything that comes out hardens really quickly. So people were yeah. actually entombed in molasses, and it took it took right. a long time. Um, so most of the it was like I said before, it was like mostly an industrial area. Yeah. And uh, so it was mostly laborers that were affected, and pretty much everyone that was in the immediate area is immediately killed. Um, lots more people were grabbed by the wave and like tossed and whatever. And so even though it was like a thirty-five mile an hour, twenty foot wave, it didn't stay that big for that long. All right. Like this is a very finite amount of molasses. So most of the people outside the immediate area, they were a lot of people injured, um, a lot of property was damaged. But people basically just got tossed around. But everybody that was like in the immediate vicinity was toast. They were gone. Um so yeah, the North End got like fucking rocked by molasses. Pretty tough. Uh, <laughs> um, so, I mean, as you can see, there's a radius of several blocks. 
of yep. the city. Uh, it remained two to three feet deep for almost a week after the incident. Um, there were people that were found, they compared it to the aftermath of the Pompeii eruption in Rome because they were digging <laughs> sort of hideously contorted yeah, just bodies. <laughs> just people with like their hands and arms like trying to like get out of like molasses that had hardened yeah and i mean the thing is it's like their lungs were full of it like they, these people well, it's not even drowning like you you really they got like <laughs> frozen in carbonite like it's like yeah. a very <laughs> like a very han solo uh vibe i think for these people yeah. um so, like what kind uh, of was done like in terms of like the cleanup process or anything yeah, so I mean, I guess first I'll get into the human damage. Um, so I'm yeah, actually, sure. I'm going to show you. I should have sent this earlier, but I've got a map here of the North End, right at the time. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. And so this is an overhead map, right? And you're going to see like a blue circle in sort yeah. of the center left. That is the tank, right? Okay. And so that whole surrounding area up to the river—that's the Charles River there you see on the north. Yeah. And then that whole surrounding open area was filled and then down into like below that where there's like the burlap factory and things, the North End Beach, yep. um, that's all North filled Dog. with molasses. So luckily it's not like in the middle of a residential area. There's not as much there, but there was a ton of property damage. Um, and yeah, it's human, all kind of like businesses. Yeah, yeah. And it was busy. It was the middle of the day. Yeah. So uh, the final death toll was 21. There were approximately okay. 150 people injured. Um you know, and it doesn't really go into the specifics because back then, unfortunately, a bunch of, you know, mostly immigrant laborers were not front page news, at yeah. least in terms of specifics. Um, the youngest victims, there were two 10 year olds that were just walking by, uh, Maria Distasio and Pasquale Iantosca, um, which are two pretty <laughs> awesome Italian names. And then the yep. oldest guy was 78. His name was Michael Sinat, and he was still working. He was a foot messenger. So that dude was like already not living his best life and yeah he went just out like wicked old and still working on his feet yeah. they're just like michael shuffle over there and bring him this fucking packet like just already having a bad day he was probably pretty stoked to be honest with you yeah i mean yeah <laughs> his struggle was finally over but uh so among the dead it was mostly it was pavers there were a couple firefighters some teamsters which we think of now as the union but back then teamsters yeah. it was like people that worked uh carts and carriages longshoremen there was a blacksmith and then one local uh, homemaker was her profession, so I would guess like a housewife. Yeah. Um, largely working class from Irish and Italian immigrant families, and so naturally, we now treat this whole thing like kind of a big fucking joke. <laughs> and it's just like, remember the molasses? How stupid is that? Like, yeah, this shit was intense. Um, so the first rescuers on the scene, it was it's actually kind of cool. There was a mass maritime academy yeah. uh, training vessel so full of like 18 19 year old like novice merchant marines docked offshore um and they all disembark and like rush headlong into it and we're talking like waist deep in molasses and they start pulling people out um and then shortly thereafter you get police red cross there was some navy there was like a navy and an army um Somewhere in Boston, there was some, like, kind of something. So they, we had some military people on scene. And then, so for days after, there was, like, what we would now think of as, like, first responders, um, firemen, and these, like, kids working for Mass Maritime. Um, so you can see here, like, part of their, the, yeah, the child laborers coming to rescue. Yeah, seriously. 
Um, and so from all the surrounding towns, they were bringing in farmers and they were just having their horse drawn carriages come in and just filling the carts up with molasses and trucking it out and probably chucking it in the harbor. Um, dude, that house is fucked. Yeah. And I mean, look at that ladder. You can see everything is just dripping. So they're, they're spraying salt water on everything to try to sort of like de-solidify the molasses but it's like cold okay. water, so it's taking forever, and they're just like yeah, shoveling like cold ocean water, right? Yeah, dude. So they're just shoveling like muck, absolute muck. And then on top of that, um, they had to take apart like this giant tank that had just spread all over the city, and like these, well, all over the city, all over the North End, and these like big sharp shards. Yep. So I just saying, there's a guy like with old school welding equipment, just like taking apart the tank. Nice, fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so it was it was like a pretty intense disaster, and and I've always sort of thought of it as kind of a silly like local anecdote. Yeah, anecdote. Um, and I I never really realized the full scope of how devastating this was, and people were yeah. really really fucked up by it. Um. So interestingly, yeah, but it's still very funny. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it is. It is definitely funny. Like. There, there, there is, and for me, it's like a very dark humor. It's sort of like when we were talking about the demon core, like, yeah, a lot of it is like this sort of gallows humor about like, oh yeah, well, like typical, like corporate malpractice and like yeah. greed and, and, yeah. and unwillingness to support the, uh, the employees. Like, so let's just, and we'll get more into yeah. that. So there was a, uh. Interestingly enough, there was a, a class action lawsuit was brought by the victims and their families against U.S. industrial alcohol in the wake of, wake of the disaster. Um, mm-hmm. And this is one of the first class action lawsuits in the state of Massachusetts. Um, so there's this sort of massive outcry of people saying, like, this, this, someone needs to be held accountable for this. And that's still sort of a novel concept in 1919 where, you know, we think now, like, corporations get away with everything, but in a lot of ways they're they're tamed down from what they were at this time when they really were just sort of running rampant and um dominating people's lives so it was called door d-o-r-r v united states industrial alcohol company and it took like years to be resolved uh so finally in 1925 they awarded six hundred and twenty eight thousand dollars in damages to the 119 plaintiffs um, which just adjusted for inflation today is like a, yeah. just over nine million. Um, so not each or total. Total, not a whole lot. So <laughs> oh my God. it's 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 approximately like a hundred and three thousand per recipient for each family member lost. Um, so is that is that before or after uh, the uh, the lawyer cut? Yeah, I don't know. They didn't go. There's not a, again. There's <laughs> not like, a lot of like class actions. I don't know what it was like then, but usually with class actions, lawyers get like. A lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they, I'm sure they made out like bandits. Um, so the lawsuit, they they did finally find that the tank had been improperly built, and it was far too thin uh, and too frail to hold so much molasses. Um, so the important, it, it, at no point in this tank, bottom top anywhere, did the thickness of the steel exceed two thirds of an inch. So think about that. <laughs> They're holding almost 3 million gallons of molasses, and at no point is the steel an inch thick. It's all, like, thin. I mean, three-quarters of an inch of steel, you couldn't bend it with your hand. 
But, like, no. you don't want to build a bridge out of it. Like, you don't want to yeah. do basically anything with that. Um, also, the rivets were improperly installed, so the whole thing is just, like, ready to go. Um, it had been built in 1915. It had only been filled to capacity between four and eight times in its existence. And then there were long gaps in between. So it was constantly being like put under stress and then relieved from the stress, allowed to warm, allowed to cool, allowed to warm, allowed to cool. They were doing everything wrong. There was just no way that this thing was going to last. Yeah. Um, another that they tested, there's still chunks of this steel around today and they, they've done tests on it um, and found that it's notably absent of manganese, which is something that you add to steel so it doesn't become brittle. So basically this was just like the most poorly built like I said before, they were just like, can somebody build us a 50-foot tank? And, like, just any guy was like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I've made tanks before. I build barrels. Like, I can build a 50-foot tank. You, yeah, you just want, like, a real big barrel, right? You just build it like you build a barrel. It's big. It's bigger. I mean, it's bigger, but... Yeah, and instead of, yeah, I'm not going to put ale in it, I'll put some molasses, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, they never... They never um, they never, like, officially – I think it – so from day one, it was sort of pretty much accepted that the tank failed because it was a shitty tank. Um, but yeah. I do think it's kind of interesting um, that despite this, there there was at least one other theory put forward as to why the tank failed. And interestingly Fuck enough, that. this theory was put forward by the U.S. Industrial Alcohol Company. Uh, who did oh, not... hell yes, dude. Let's hear what they got, man. <laughs> I know you're going you're gonna to love this. Believe it or not, they did not think that the tank failed because it was built improperly. They pointed the finger at, quote, foreign and likely Italian anarchists uh, who deliberately sabotaged the tank in an effort to diminish the U.S. war effort because a lot of the ethanol produced was going to be sent to munitions factories um, and to build dynamite and things like that. Um, They claimed that they'd received an anonymous call a year before that threatened to blow up the tank. Now, so this is the sort that, of... like, Antonio Gramsci just, like, came over here? Yeah, he was just like, you <laughs> just... know, I've had about enough of this molasses tank. Yeah. We're going to blow it up. But what I think yeah. is so interesting about that is, like, so many of the victims were Italian. And their, their response was basically to be like, we didn't kill all these Italians. It was another dirty Italian killing all these <laughs> Italians. Those yeah. Italians, like it's just like yeah. the most like even by uh, even by nineteen nineteen standards, it's like pretty. And so it ended up being that's that's such a logic leap that like basically no one, even in like super racist nineteen nineteen Boston, nobody bought on yeah. bought onto that. Yeah, Everyone even was the like, Irishmen didn't believe yeah, it. <laughs> they were just like, no, that's not true. Like we wish it was true. We'd love to believe that was true. That's and, not true. And if it ever happens to our stuff, it's probably gonna be true. It'll definitely be true. <laughs> No, we don't think that's true. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, again, the takeaway is sort of that, like, corporate greed coupled with lax regulations leads to massive casualties and a disaster of otherworldly magnitude, uh, largely impacting poor working class immigrant populations, which is par for the course in America. Yeah, it's not not quite as funny as um, douchebags trying to learn how to vaporize other people. Uh, for the name of Empire, accidentally vaporized themselves. Yeah, it's uh, not quite as funny. It's it's yeah, it is actually it's a little more tragic, and it is it's it's weirdly enough, it's a far deadlier incident 
Um, but you just kind of yeah. end up coming away from it feeling a little bit bad because it's like, yeah, it's really stupid. Like they really, they really fucked up with that yeah. uh, tank of molasses. But then it's sort of just like you just sort of feel bad. Um, another cool postscript, though. So I mentioned that we had that that sweet class action lawsuit. Another fun postscript. Um, the city of Boston finally did, uh, immediately as a result of this, pass uh, requirements that all future construction projects uh, be stamped and have the plan. Oh, I'm sorry, the plans had to be sent in and be stamped and approved by architects and civil engineers, and then filed yeah. with the city for review. So anytime anything was going to be built, there had to be uh, multiple stages of proof that it had been checked and rechecked and that the designs were sound. Um, yeah. So in a large sense, we owe lots of modern building standards to this incident um yeah. it's just kind of classic and too bad that like we didn't bother with any of that until we had like the most ridiculous example of like yeah yeah it took like 21 people dying in a molasses flood for them to be like maybe we should check how buildings are made like yeah, maybe so, we should so, see what so they're every building townie that is uh every townie that bitches every time they want to put up a new wall or take down a wall in their house right. they have uh they can thank <laughs> this company for the city of molasses. No, you know what's funny is, like, I know that there are people now that, like, would still be mad about it, you know? Like, they want to put yeah. up their own, like, swimming pool in their backyard and have it be 50 feet tall and hold 2.5 million gallons of water. And yeah. the town's like, no, and they're like, my freedoms. Like, <laughs> yeah. don't yeah. tread on me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I do think it's funny though. I mean, it's 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 a great example of like history repeating itself and why it's just never good to let corporate interests do whatever they want without checks, you know. Yeah. Um people now are still saying like just let the corporations have have okay. their way. It'll fix everything. It's like, no, you will end up buried under 3 feet of molasses. That's well, what's going to like happen. No, like, like there was a, there was something on Twitter this week of like some fucking like asshole like uh, in the Trump administration or somebody working for I don't know some regulatory board who is saying uh, proposing that they remove the re the uh, the regulations uh, around frozen cherry pies so that you could put more cherries if you want or thicker crust or yeah. Americans can add whatever they want to their frozen cherry pies. It's like, dude, Americans aren't making. Their shitty, like microwavable gas station frozen cherry pies. What's that? What would happen is companies would just put rotten cherries in it, right? And just like cover it with sugar. <laughs> Americans aren't making those, dude. Corporations yeah. are having people make them in like Southeast Asia. <laughs> using slave labor with like rotten cherries. It's actually really cute that this person or these people think that that that's even a thing like where do you think this small town is like with the sara lee cherry pie factory we're like <laughs> we still make our living the old-fashioned way my yeah. father made pies his father made pies now i'm a pie man like no man there's absolutely like, no. Yeah, no nobody's making those cherry pies in this fucking country no you're no. just selling them at 7-Eleven. I don't know who's fucking eating those cherry pies. Yeah, Obviously, like, they're going somewhere because you see them at the store and, like, they're still there. It's still a thing. I'm going to link you to it, dude. You got to see this fucking shit. It's so stupid. <laughs> yeah, I'm into it.
Um, while, while you're sending me that, so uh, I'll just wrap up. Like I have a yeah. couple more little points here to get through. Um, so the tank was never rebuilt. Um, and they say, they claim that for years afterwards, like decades afterwards, a hot day in the North End, you could still smell like the hot reek of molasses because it had just seeped into the earth, you know? So everything was just embedded with this sticky molasses. Yeah. And, uh, it, 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 the vast majority of that land has since been torn up and done over. And it's actually, most of it is, uh, Langone Park, um, yeah. which is a, uh, I don't think I can open that link. Let me see. I'll be able to find it. Um, it's under Langone Park. So yeah. it's, it's not like still, there's no still cobbled streets there and stuff like that. It's on the waterfront. You can walk over there. It's kind of nice. Um, and it doesn't still smell like molasses. Yeah. <laughs> Things are not still, I mean, Boston is still a pretty sticky city, but, uh, <laughs> I don't think there's, uh, any molasses. Um, it did make it to the front of the Boston Globe, which was yeah. cool. Do you want to see the old Globe front Fuck page? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's pretty fun just to see, like, what it looked like. So it made the front page of the Globe, obviously. Um, it was well, a huge tank explosion, Ninja's 50 and kills 11. The funny thing about that is that that story, they do kind of buy into the... Um, Oh God! They kind of buy into the the Italian anarchist theory. So yeah. for a while, that was like out there. There was, I'm sure that journalist got paid in fucking ginger snaps or something. But he yeah. <laughs> uh, he he did sort of claim that like, oh, it might be sabotage, foreign sabotage, and everybody was just like, no, man. That was a bad tank. <laughs> no, dude, look at the wall. We have the walls of the tank. Look, look at the tank, man. It's a bad tank. Um, <laughs> the only real evidence of the disaster on the spot now, and you'll like this. This is the last image I have. Is this cute okay. little cute little plaque? And it's like twelve by twelve, and it's in Langone Park or like outside Langone Park. Yeah. And uh, I think I'm saying that right, Langone Park. Oh yeah. And. Uh, it's just like, hey, there was a molasses flood here. Uh, yeah. On January 15th, 1919, a molasses tank at 5.9 Commercial Street exploded under pressure, killing 21 people. Yeah, they say it's a 40-foot wave. That's super exaggerated. That's the one thing. It's yeah. like, yeah, dude, it was 40 feet tall. Dude, it was it was, it was was a trillion gallons of molasses. It was 40 feet tall. You'll never fucking believe this, kid. It was 40 fucking feet tall this dude, time. Dude, it went into and the, the fucking highway. wave coming up. It picked up shocks. There were shocks in the north end, molasses shocks, sweetest shocks you'll ever meet. And they were biting people and fucking eating people. Oh, my God, dude. I almost <laughs> spelled my fucking Dunkin's, dude. It was unbelievable. <laughs> So, the fucking Habba shocks, dude. Those fucking Habba shocks, dude. They're eating a steady diet of trash and oysters. People dropping fucking meatballs in there. And they're, they're huge. Unbelievable. And they can breathe in the molasses. And, 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 and they breed in the molasses. Uh, and you, what you get are candy shocks, dude. It's fucking unbelievable. Um, so yeah, so we've got that cute little plaque. I think that's nice. I think it's nice at yeah. the end of the day. I think it's nice to get a plaque. And I hope someday that maybe there's a plaque for me. And yeah. I hope it doesn't take me being Pompeyed under candy to to get one. But honestly, like, if I'm 78 years old and delivering messages on foot, 
might not seem so bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, so that's it for my notes. What do you think about the molasses flood? I love it, dude. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, love and, it. and don't you feel proud to know that that's, like... It's a piece of Boston history. Yeah, it's a piece of Boston history. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I, I am going to – we're going to redirect here. I'm going to open up this uh, cherry pie thing. Breaking. Okay, so this is this is from Scott Gottlieb, the 23rd commissioner of the FDA from 2017 to 2018. Okay. And this fucking tweet reads, with a, with a picture of a Sarah, Sarah Lee cherry pie oven fresh, like a frozen cherry pie. It says, breaking, new proposed rule. Thanks to the hard work of my FDA team in 2018. This is the FDA. Yeah. In 2018. They're supposed to regulate this shit. The federal government will no longer be regulating the contents of frozen cherry pie. The American people are free, add extra fruit, sugar, and make the crust especially thick. Dude. No, no, a bunch of Southeast Asian slaves are going to put rotten cherries in them. <laughs> I, so here's here's what's so great about that. That reminds me, it's like the same thing as if, like, you know, years later, like, some dude goes on and tweets. He's like, so I just wanted to let everybody know that in high school when everyone said that, um, that I sucked that guy's dick at that party, um, I didn't. And also, it's now... I just want it to be known, not only that, but um, he, but actually he told me, he was like, he said, you're the, you dude, you would never do that. And <laughs> it's like that. He's coming out. He's like, I just want you guys to know, like, I know everyone says I did a bad job, but like in 2018, we worked on this and it's good. And you now can put as many cherries as you want. Your now. cherry pies will be even better. You see, the, the tyrannical <laughs> FDA, they wanted to limit how sweet and delicious the cherry pies were. Fewer cherries. Yeah. Thin and across, he, no sugar, fucking no sugar. That is just so typical of the FDA. Yeah. They want you to the eat FDA. these flimsy, I, thin crust, not like, enough cherries. Like, what are you, tart. my fucking dad? Telling me, oh, yeah, you can't put that many cherries in. It's they too try many to cherries. tell you, they say, you, that's too much whipped cream on your pie. Don't put so much whipped cream on your pie. That's not to get We only have one canister of whipped cream. Can't put too much whipped cream on there. Yeah, and so on that same note, it's like, who's to tell me that that's too much molasses to put in a in a container? I mean, what's too much, you know? Is that is it defined? I don't think so. I don't need the government overstepping their bounds on how much molasses... I can put in my tinfoil tank out here that so uh, had cold molasses sitting in there for fucking three months. Right, like where else am I supposed to put it? What, I don't have time to build I another tank. Barge, the boat's the barge of molasses. The boat's here. The barge is here. He's got other no, deliveries I, to make. I understand, Jimmy, but what would you? Where am I supposed to put it? Where else am I gonna put it? I can't put it out my home. My wife will kill me. She, the last time, oh my God, she's still not, she mentions it every time she smells a yeah. ginger snap, dude. Yeah, you got that fucking molasses in the bathtub again. What did I tell you? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I gotta put it in the tank. <laughs> all right. All right. Just don't say I didn't tell you. Don't say I didn't warn you. I'm just you saying, it's a busy, there's a lot of guys working out there today. Wouldn't appreciate being buried in molasses. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I won't say no more. You're, you're going to tell them. 
listen, listen, I'll go out there and I'll tell them. Yeah, man. So I, I, I had a lot of fun uh, researching this particular one. Yeah. Um, mainly because there's <laughs> there's like a ton of articles about it, and they're all kind of the same. Um, yeah. And well, what I, mean, I really happened a hundred years ago. Yeah, exactly. And what I like about this particular story, and what I think sets it apart from like a lot of other um, sort of like corporate disaster stories, is yeah. Well, I mean, maybe this is because we're so far removed from it by time yep. and whatever, but there's really only one narrative. And, like, even at the time, kind of nobody bought into, like, the notion that it was anything other than, like, faulty craftsmanship. And you know what I mean? Yep. Like, the class action lawsuit was a success. Building regulations were altered. Um, you know, there was some degree of compensation. Obviously, like, how do you put a price on, like, a human's life? But... Um, it, it does sort of feel like for a brief moment, like the good guys won in the end. Um, yeah. I wonder, you know, would this have been the case even in 1919? Had this been like, you know, a military munitions plant that exploded or something? Probably not. Um, so maybe it's particularly due to like sort of the novelty of having a molasses flood break out in your city yeah. that you get any kind of like solid resolution from it. But I thought that was kind of nice. You know, especially yeah. after the Demon Core, when it's like, and we're still using the same technology today. <laughs> like, yeah. Moral of the story, nothing changed. <laughs> but instead of killing ourselves in New Mexico, we went to the South Pacific and said, these are our islands now. Yeah, we're and gonna just, drop like, drop here. dozens of them. Yeah. But honestly, like, good for New Mexico, you know? Bullet yeah. dodged. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's it. That's all I've got on that particular subject. Was there anything else that you felt particularly uh, inclined to discuss today? Oh, no, no, that was good. Just wanted, we got our Shkreli talk out. We got you the know, Shkreli talk. Shkreli. Yep. We brought in the cherry pie. I still can't get over that picture, too, because you're looking at that cherry pie. And what I love about the photos of cherry pie is they're, they're slices of pie, right? But it's always whole cherries inside. Like the knife just goes in and misses every cherry. Yeah. And there's all these whole cherries bursting out. And yeah. now we're free to make them as thick and as fruity as we want. And rotten. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely going to be it, rotten. It, and with as much mouse and rat shit in them as, as we can fit. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know what? I, I almost forgot. I yeah. wanted to mention. Uh, we forgot to mention today's sponsor. Um, today's episode was oh. sponsored by, by Jingle Joe. Uh, there's only okay, Jingle one Joe. Jingle Joe. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Jingle Joe. Yeah. <laughs> no, you gotta thank him. You, no, you gotta thank him because he'll know if he'll okay. know if you don't. That, thank, you, thank you, Jingle Joe, for that that excellent jingle. Just make sure you mean it because he'll he'll know yeah. if you don't. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Well, uh, does that wrap us up? Does that bring us to? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think to... so. Um, I haven't nailed down my next topic yet. I did get in without going too much into it. This fine book. Um, Jeffrey of Monmouth? Yeah. Cool. So, um, this is probably, I'm probably going to have to do like multiple parts, episodes, like just doing like a few sections of it. I won't do them all in a row, but 
I'm not sure if I'll do that next time. You know, kind of busy with the holidays. But um, so I'll have cool. to nail that down. I was thinking for my next uh, my next episode. I was I was thinking, and we'll we'll yeah. mull this over. I was thinking about doing uh, the failed Japanese invasion of Korea in uh, in the late 16th century. Um, okay, which is it's a fun one because okay, basically like. Well, yeah, a lot of a lot of Japanese wartime stories are usually yeah really lighthearted and enjoyable. Yeah, for, no, there's, for all there's none of them are cool, and it's funny. Like all we get of it is like the Last Samurai. Like <laughs> that would be a great yeah. movie for us to do because that movie's fucking awful. Um, yeah. Where it's just like you know those Japanese, they just couldn't figure out how to stop fighting each other. Luckily, there was one white guy who was willing to help them out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right um well again big thank you obviously this week to jingle joe um and and i guess uh we will see you guys next time as always uh we will have our sources posted online uh and you know we welcome any feedback we'll have uh email and twitter and all that fun stuff posted as well um and we hope that you enjoyed and We'll see you next time. And and we'll see you next time. <laughs> All right. See you later, man.